Someday we finally met in that way. I was waiting for you to say my name. Falling. Am I a director who happens to be Christian? Or a Christian who happens to be a director, okay. And basically, what that means is that there's probably certain films that I would not do. On this episode of Playtime, award-winning director, writer, and producer Michael O'Seibel talks about filmmaking, faith in film, and talks about his latest film, The Mulligan. Plus, the latest song from our featured indie artist, Rasco Martinez. I'm W. C. Turk. His 1998 film, The Ride, was shown on West to East Coast American Airlines flights to benefit Make-A-Wish Foundation. Michael also directed, come the morning, a dramatic film about a homeless family filmed on Los Angeles' Skid Row. Come the morning won the Crown Award for Best Film of the Year for 1994. He directed a great film, The Ultimate Gift, which I saw last night, and... uh, Shed, shed more than a few tears, brother. His 2017 release, Wraith, starred the great Lance Hendrickson. Michael's most recent film, The Mulligan, opens in select theaters across the nation this weekend. TheMulliganMovie.com is the website. But what I really want to know is just how long Michael Seibel is going to ride the success of his 1982 film, Superstition. <laughs> wow. That's a deep dig into my past. I was shocked how successful. Yeah, I once held a watch party for that film at a, at a friend's dorm on the campus of Lewis University in Romeoville, Illinois. I'm I'm very impressed. Um, I could spend an hour minimally talking about superstition, uh-huh. uh, and uh, uh, it has. It has a huge fan base in Europe, and it, it uh, reached more people than we, we knew because it was produced by two guys. One is now deceased. The guys who, at the same time, were doing a film called First Blood up in Canada. And so that's the very first Rambo movie. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so, so when these two guys reached their 20- or 30-year anniversary, they took out huge multiple pages in the Hollywood Reporter and Variety magazine. And they said, first blood made this, second blood made this, you know, all of this. And they did um, some Terminator. They Mm -hmm. funded the Terminator movies. Then there was a page that said superstition, no numbers available. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. I I have a lot of stories about that, but. um, I was, I was uh, really delighted when I saw that. That was our first. Yeah. You were you uh you were writer 
on that film, or uh, did you also direct that film? I'm a writer and a producer on that film. Okay. My my partner at the time, Jim Roberson, he uh, directed it. It was a. It, I'll tell you what happened. We were in the film business, and we, you know, we were doing insert shots and <laughs> all kinds of, you know, um, commercials for Mexican brandy. Yep. And all this other stuff. But it was I had an apartment in Beverly Hills. And one day, there were five of us sitting in the apartment. And it was raining. And we said, you know, why can't we make movie? You know, a, a, a movie. And I said, well, I've got an idea. It's about a witch. <laughs> you know, that was Salem witch trial. And she was, you know, tortured <laughs> and all that. And then, of course, the modern culture says, all oh, witches didn't really exist. And the premise of the film, of <laughs> course, is that this witch was very real. So... One guy said, I will write it with you. And another guy, the third writer said, I can type without looking at the keys. <laughs> and, we, so, and then uh, one guy said, if I can star in it, my dad will finance it. And I'm trying to think of the other guy, what his role was. But we went to a distributor before going up north to talk mm -hmm. to this guy's dad. And the distributor said, okay, we'll distribute it. Done deal. And so we got up to leave, and he, it was in Hollywood, and the guy said, Isn't, are you forgetting something? And we said, well, what? He goes, well, where's the script? Well, I want to see the script. I said, oh, it's at the printer. I'm really <laughs> sorry. The, the printer is going to take the weekend, and we'll have it to you on Monday. Uh -huh. And he goes, fine, no problem. We went home and wrote it that weekend. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how long did it take you to write that film? Well, the version that you saw, uh -huh. and, I, and I just reread the original script about six months ago, the original, we wanted to make a movie like Suspiria. Okay. Which is a, you know, fantastic Italian horror film. Mm -hmm. um, Dario Argento, man, we wanted to do Suspiria so badly. And the guys actually calmed the film down a little bit. It, it doesn't have the, as much blood, gore, horror, as we wanted really and yeah <laughs> so, you, you know stacy stacy keach senior was in that film yeah and he played a played a minister uh -huh. so one day one day the line producer ed carlin went to lunch and he said michael you're in charge don't screw it up and he came back from lunch and there was blood all over the floor the ceiling everywhere and stacy keach had a saw blade in his stomach that was still <laughs> rotating and Carlin said to me, oh, that's the last time I leave you in charge. I said, yeah, if you left me in charge anymore, you'd have a hit film. <laughs> but, but you said it was, it was uh, kind of a sleeper hit. I remember, I remember, boy, this, this goes back to, to Blockbuster. It was, it was available at my Blockbuster for, for years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which says, says, Actually, says a lot about, uh, about the film. I have a copy in beta. Okay. okay. <laughs> Do you have a beta machine? No. My dad <laughs> won a beta machine at a raffle or something, and uh -huh. he brought it home. Uh -huh. And that was about five minutes before beta was extinct. So it's a it's an antique relic, in other words. Yeah, I think it's down to just the cover, actually. And um, it's behind me in one of the 20 crates I have of... <laughs> DVDs and, and, and videos and what have you. I, I just I just moved with two whole crates full of VHS. Uh -huh. I'm never gonna watch them. I'm never gonna watch VHS. I, I should just it's sentimental. 
So anyway. Yeah, and I still hold on to to a number of mine, and I keep saying I'm going to transfer them over. We did a TV show for for a while called Revolution and Beer. I still have some of those episodes are still that that weren't released or are still on tape. And one of these days, I'll I'll get around to um, to editing and mixing them. And but then again, maybe I won't. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, happy happy Easter as we're as we're coming up to the uh, to the holy day here. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Or we're, we moved houses about. I'm sorry, you, you you dropped you dropped out there just a little bit. You moved you moved houses. We just moved houses, but we didn't move churches. I have to read on Sunday morning. Oh, nice. Good. Nice. Uh, and, and congratulations on the premiere. Uh, did that did that also happen in Wisconsin, or well, are you jet setting all over the country here? Well, if you're a golf aficionado, you'll understand. Mm-hmm. We just had the premiere in, in Augusta, Georgia. Okay. Where they have this little thing called the Masters Tournament. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, we have in the film, uh, Jim Nance uh-huh. is in the film, uh, Tom Lehman, a pro golfer. Yeah. And uh, it's an inspirational film. Uh-huh. Um, and it's coming out, it's, it's a Fathom event releasing. So it's coming out just a couple of nights only in theaters. Okay. Monday and Tuesday after Easter. Yeah. So the 18th and the 19th. And if you don't get in theater, you'll, uh, you know, it, it'll live forever digitally. But you, you seem to do, you seem to do even better digitally and streaming than, than in theaters. So uh, your, your films tend to have, have a very long life to them outside of theater. Yeah. Being a director, uh, I get a, a residual check yeah. for them. And I, I, I still, like you mentioned, The Ultimate Gift. And another movie called One Night with a King. Uh, uh-huh. These were made, I made these in 2000, 2005 and 2006, yeah. somewhere like that. And yeah. I still get, there's still a little trickle. Mm-hmm. It used to be enough to buy golf clubs. Now it's enough to buy <laughs> golf balls. <laughs> there's, there's that classic Seinfeld uh, episode in which he's getting residuals and his hand is becoming increasingly gnarled and, uh, and, and pained as, as he goes through the episode. Uh, and so I want I want to kind of lead us lead this conversation to, to the mulligan at the end, but I, I want to let my listeners know about some of some of the great films that you've made. But I want to start here. You hail from Wisconsin. You, 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 uh, you're in Nina or Appleton right now? I'm in Appleton. Okay. So we have, and, I think uh, we've got some, some friends in common. Steve March Torme is a dear, dear friend. Dan oh, Davies. Yeah, look, look. Oh, Dan Davies. Yes. Dan is a, uh, he's a great, great friend. Yeah. And, good. And we, and, and we, we did, we did a, a, a show from two rivers at an art gallery there. And I was working with uh, a, a, a very close friend of mine, Paul Michael Glazer, to, sure. to have, have a, uh, one of his murals installed there. Um, and I, I think that all fell apart with, with COVID. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll have to see what we can do about that. But I, I had this conversation with, with Steve. What is in the water in Appleton that there is so much creativity in that little heart of... Uh, of Wisconsin that uh, that is so under underrated and underappreciated or underrecognized, maybe. It's funny. I'm looking at the water right now. I'm on the Fox River uh-huh. with a commanding, incredible view. I wish I wish I owned this house, but I'm renting it for a year. Uh, Edna Ferber, the famous author, 
grew up here. Harry Houdini was born here. I, I went to high school with Willem Dafoe. And, and, and I overlooked him, but, but I, I just read that he was, uh, he's, he's from that neck of the woods. Stunning. Yeah, there's, yeah and uh, there's some notoriety as well. Um, mm-hmm. Tail Gunner Joe McCarthy. Okay. Uh, U.S. Senator uh, uh, for the uh, blacklisting of people in Hollywood. He's, he's from Appleton. Let's see. Greta Van Sestren, that used to be on Fox, Fox or News. CNN. Yeah. She, yeah. She, she, she's from here. In fact, we have friends of friends. My mom and her mom were best friends. Okay. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a small world. And, um, it, it's funny. I saw last week, I saw Alice Cooper <laughs> here and uh-huh. we have a great, great performing arts center. So yeah. Alice introduced one of his guitarists from Appleton, Wisconsin. Of course it brought down the house. And then Alice said, he's not really. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks a lot, Alice. Um, but yeah, um, we, we love this community. Uh, I, I was, I still have a place in Hollywood uh-huh. and I, but my, I moved my three kids and my wife back here and just to know their grandparents and things like that. So yeah. it really has refreshed me. I'm, I'm really happy. So I was just I'm in Atlanta last week and I'm going to be in LA next week. And so the, you know, great airport and all that. Yeah. So, uh, everything works still. And- you, you shot. You shot Wraith, uh, your your 2018 film yeah. in in Nina with, with some of those stunning old yeah, houses. Um, unbelievable! Uh, everybody probably knows that Nina is the home of Kimberly Clark, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. makes every paper product that starts with a K: mm-hmm. Kleenex, Kotex, Kimbys. They make depends. Okay, so that's uh-huh. one houses we shot in was the interiors was actually the childhood home of the Hollywood director. Howard Hawks. Wow. And, uh, you know, he did what, Red River, uh, The Thing, His Girl Friday. I mean, my gosh, he, he, he probably o- well over 50 films. We're taking the herd. That's good enough for me. I'm with you, man. I'll go along. Truth, how about you? You was wrong, Mr. Johnson. I've been with you a lot of years. And up till now, right or wrong, all is done like you said. Got to be kind of a habit with me, I guess, because that's why I'm staying with you. Go on with them. Thanks. Thanks for making it easy on me. All right, Matt, I'll be coming with you. Throw them on the trails. Start driving. Buster, you wait here till I get back. You come looking for me, Mr. Dunson, I'll be in Abilene. The amazing Howard Hawks, who started the Directors Guild, with uh, about a dozen other guys. I saw that that uh, you had a half hour long conversation with Lance Hendrickson, managed to talk him out of Hawaii to a very cold Nina, Wisconsin. Well, I didn't, I didn't know he was in Hawaii, but I, I know he's got a place in just outside of LA. In fact, you know, those famous rocks that are kind of tilted. Yeah. They're called the Vasquez rocks. Yeah. He doesn't live far from there. And uh, he makes pottery and in his spare time. Clay pottery. He's an artist. Yeah. 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 He, uh, he colors platters and serving trays and beautiful work. And mm-hmm. I remember I gave my casting director a list of five guys that I want to play this blind mm-hmm. priest who can, you know, obviously with the diminishing one uh, sense, yeah. your other senses 
spiritual sense is enhanced. My casting director called me one day and she said, well, you got this person and yeah, this person's going to be fine and you're all good here. And then she said, oh, by the way, you got Lance Hendrickson. And whoa, (laughs) you know, I mean, what what an incredible, incredible dream come true to work with him. The film was, shall we say, <laughs> modestly budgeted. As you know, it doesn't matter what the budget is. I only have a lacking. I don't have a B or a C level, you know. Yeah. And uh, Lance Henriksen was a dream to work with and uh, loved, loved working with him. It's embarrassing, but we think that there could be something in our house, mm-hmm. like a, a spirit. A spirit. Do you feel any danger in your house? Any for you and your family? Yes. Mrs. Lucan, please understand I'm here to serve you. What is it you're not telling me? I'm sorry, Father, I, I... If there is something in your house, to put it frankly, there has to be a void for it to be there. A void? A vacuum. An emptiness. What do you think might be lacking, Father? Something that can give you protection for you and your family. I, I, I rewatched the film the other the other night, and yeah. I was boy, I, I was astounded. I don't know if you know that YouTube calls it it's it's their number one evil YouTube, and and so it it's. It has this connotation, which I think I think really does a disservice to the story. So I, I, I guess I guess I'd I'd like to know the the thought, or or maybe this was completely out of out of your hands that it was it was promoted as a horror film or as as sort of a an exorcist style film. When I, I really think it should have been a guardian angel film, it, it was really a beautiful, beautiful story. You try to get people to watch a film that they think is horror and they don't like horror. Yeah. And you've got a big, you know, uh, an obstacle. And then you try to, some people like gothics and whatever yeah. Yeah. will come to the film and they just absolutely hate it. They just yeah. hate it. So it's really not. It's not a classic horror film in that sense. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, yeah, there's some, it, some it, terrific suspense. Yeah, it, it just, I know I touched a couple of third rails there, you know, in the, in the plot. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And, uh, and, and of course, that, a movie should do that. And essentially, I was told at one of the um, showings that Indians, American Indians, a particular mm-hmm. tribe, has a legend that if a baby is in the mom's womb, mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. will visit the teepee. It'll visit the teepee to see if it wants to live with this family. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the plot of this film, you know? And, and some people look at it as anti-abortion. It depends on your own worldview. I mean, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't make people think a certain way and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the film's doing well and... Um, I really need to reinvigorate. I, we just got rid of our foreign sales agent uh-huh. and um, we're trying to, we're trying to get it 
you know, back, back over and forth. It, it, you know, it, it was selling to a lot of countries, you know, Sweden, New Zealand, mm-hmm. Japan, a number of countries, but I mean, it hasn't been to South America yet. And I really wanted to go there and um, who knows? It probably will. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the borders are all crashing anyway. Used to be you'd sell to France or sell to England or whatever. But now with Netflix, Amazon, whatever, I think. Would it be fair to, to categorize you as, uh, as a Christian director? Yeah, I, there's a lot. There's been debate discussion about that okay. over the years, uh-huh. and that is, am I a director who happens to be Christian, or a Christian who happens to be a director? Okay. And basically, what that means is that there's probably certain films that I would not do, mm-hmm. uh, although I have been offered a kind of a comedy horror film, and. Um, it, 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 I, I knew the, the producer's father mm-hmm. and no, I, I know what he wanted. And so it's, it's, but yeah, you could say um, I've had a lot of entries in the faith-based area. Yeah. Um, the um, one, uh, let's see, the ultimate gift was not faith-based, although at the time it was released by, uh, 20th Century Fox decided to establish a new label. Yeah, they wanted they called Faith Faith and Family or something like that. And yeah, yeah. the bottom line is that people saw that come up mm-hmm. at the beginning, and you know, even like Roger Ebert said, "Oh, I may be going to hell for saying something here." I mean, it it, it wasn't a faith based; it was more of a values based film. We're so sensitive about you know I, I'm probably as agnostic as they come, but but my first novel ends in in a hospice with with a preacher sort of coming to uh coming to the death of of one of his uh one of his uh his constituents in in a very powerful way it takes place up in up in the up in michigan but we've we've become so sensitive about all of these things that immediately immediately when somebody says i'm a christian or i'm a muslim or i'm a, I'm a buddhist whatever then then that lops off everybody that isn't in that subset i could uh one story comes to mind immediately Mm -hmm. is that you saw the ultimate gift yeah and you know sometimes in a book or a first draft of a film Mm -hmm. you don't there 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 are some things that you there's some loose ends and sometimes the audience can skip across those loose ends and that's fine persistence Mm -hmm. of belief and all that Mm -hmm. but Sometimes I like to tie things together. And in The Ultimate Gift, there was this girl who was terminal. And Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. her mother, this rich boy is, you know, kind of been drawn in because if he doesn't be nice to somebody, he's going to lose his inheritance, right? Uh, Drew Fuller. Yeah, Drew. And so they're in a, a cafeteria in a hospital. And I told the cameraman to make it look as cheesy and badly lit as possible, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> because that's a, that's a, I want to hear Coke machines humming. Stuff. Yeah. And so why is this woman single? Why is she a single mother? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a million reasons. I think the, the, the sort of the subtext was 
you think it's worth it having this kid who's terminal Mm -hmm. rather Mm -hmm. than never had the kid. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she said, I knew this guy. We hooked up. Uh, When my daughter, Emily, came along, he disappeared. It's the best decision I ever made in my life. Now, that's as close as we get to being pro-life or it's a a decision I'm glad I made. Well, I think that it bows to the modern society by saying it's a decision at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, but there you go. It's a decision I made. People make decisions all the time. I mean, I've got three beautiful children from Russia where abortion is like going to the CVS pharmacy and getting a bottle of aspirin. Um, And their, their mothers chose to keep them. I mean, up to a point where they were given up for adoption. Mm -hmm. I'm really happy about that. So anyway, an article came out in, I don't know, New York Times or whatever, that Mm -hmm. radical pro-life Michael Seibel, you know, can't keep his hand off this subject and whatever. And it's really only come up in a couple of films. Yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, uh, I will say the mulligan, which you know, you like to characterize as an inspirational film, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it it is, it is very faith friendly. Oh, hey, Paul, I set you up in a pro-am charity golf tournament. Heavy hitter coming in from Asia. Your entire purpose for being there. Connect us to the $20 billion man. Money. Paul McAllister is off to a big start. Would you have time to talk about some business ideas I have? Sure. After I meet your family? about the putter you're just not good enough to get that mad mom god's warranty on dad coming back has expired i'm moving on you should too you have no idea how much i sacrificed to provide for our family some things aren't worth sacrificing hey paul there is somebody here who i'd love for you to meet are you the old pro (laughs) well i am old when was the last time you drove like this 20 years ago, I guess, back when I still had my license. How do you see yourself? Not just in golf, but your whole existence, your life. I have a son who hates me, and my wife and I have been separated for about five years. Sounds like your game could use a mulligan. Taking a mulligan is cheating. I play by the rules, or I don't play. 4.5 million to us, 50% ROI. Thank you, thank you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Your dad's not gonna be able to make Mom, okay, I know he's not gonna come. What kind of God allows his people to suffer so much pain? Your son has moved in with you. Sometimes God uses seemingly bad things for good. I'm not sure I like his methods. It's about believing. This never was about golf, was it? I think my work here is done. Ladies and gentlemen, make your tea time. We got Pat Boone to play a character called the old pro. Yeah. The old pro. And Pat Boone is a national treasure. I mean, (laughs) every, I mean, I saw him of course in journey to the center of the earth. Right. Right. Not, not the original release in 1959, but you know, he was right up. He was the the heartthrob. And then there was James Mason, the French version of the poster, by the way, lists Pat first. Oh, no (laughs) kidding. Yeah. Lead billing. Voyage de, de, you know, whatever. It's a classic. <laughs> it, it, it's a classic. It, oh, gosh, yeah. Roy, Ray Harryhausen. 
Yeah. Come on. Yeah, Ray yeah. Harryhausen is. So anyway, um, this is a guy that's on TV right now. Lovely man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to see him next week. And I, and I golfed with him last week, so that's something. But um, he uh, he's on TV a lot selling health products, step-in bathtubs and all that. Mm-hmm. And I, I told my, my assistant director, I said, look, he's in his 80s, yeah, you know, yeah. like 87 or 88. Just give him just like a maximum of two or three pages a day and maybe every other day. Well, as schedules work out, you know, on a, on a lower budget film, we shot up to six pages a day with him and he brought it. He never stopped and said, oh, let me rephrase or let me. I mean, he was totally with it. You know, Paul, that's the first time I saw you smile on the golf course. Yes. Thank you for that. <laughs> I had to laugh to hold the tears back. I was too over even on my part. <laughs> you know, the game of golf was meant to be fun. And the more fun you have, the more successful you are. Ah. I mean, here in Wisconsin, I just had an old guy deliver firewood from a farm. And he says, I'm 82. I go, I just work with an 87-year-old guy. Who <laughs> says, you know, my God. And so uh, Pat is in great shape. Um, and so he's, he's great. And a lot of people remember him. He, 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 older people yeah. remember him from their youth. Yeah and some of his hit songs, but uh, he really is a national treasure. And I can't believe he hasn't worked more, but maybe he's very selective. Selective you know, about perhaps. What he yeah. Does. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I guess I want to go back, back to this, um, this, this super sensitivity, because as, as a storyteller, I, I have to set my, um, my personal views on the world aside and, and fill in those characters depending upon the need of the character or what, what that char- how, how that character is defined. And, and so the Mulligan, you know, I, I've, I've only seen the trailers and, and I watched, I watched the, uh, the production, the video series that you, that you did um, that's, on, that's on YouTube. Regardless of, of the use of, of God and Jesus and the Lord and, and religion and what have you, there's, there's a great, great story there about second chances. The, the only question I have is, at, at what point do, do you make a decision on, uh, on the script and the audience? In other words, are you casting a wider net? For, for as large an audience as possible? Or are you understanding what your target demographic is and, and then working to that strength? What a great question. It's kind of two parts because you, you opened up with, you know, a, you know, just what your beliefs might be or your proclivities, whatever, and uh-huh. versus what you're watching. And I really want to and you you talked about sensitivity too which is a uh admirable to bring that up because i would like to think that if i don't agree with somebody politically yeah yeah for for instance i can still think i can still be entertained by them yeah i mean i don't want to identify myself you know the minute somebody in the film business picks a side you're Mm -hmm. going to lose half your audience you know i mean it's like yeah like crazy so when I do this, uh, 
I do, I do have a tremendous amount of um, input with the mm-hmm. script. Mm-hmm. Uh, this script came to me fairly intact, but not in the right order. In essence, there's a, an, an accident in the film that's mm-hmm. a fulcrum or a catalyst mm-hmm. to, to launch the rest of the film. You know, you've been especially chipper since I saw you last. Uh, how have you been? A uh, lot's happened. My son, Jake? Good memory. Yeah, Jake was in a motorcycle crash during a race. He's moved in with me to recover. Yes, God is good. Well, I'm not sure how Jake's near-death career-ending crash is good. Look, last time we were together, you asked me how you could get life mulligans, right? So, I asked God to give you one. And now you're telling me your son has miraculously moved in with you. Oh, so it's your fault. (laughs) Well, sometimes God uses seemingly bad things for good. I'm living proof of that. No, I'm not sure I like his methods. I'm sure the feeling's mutual. In that early scene, uh, or early version of it, they all reconciled, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, well you, might as well, you might as well run the end credits, right? So there really wasn't any more drama or suspense. So I, I think that when it comes to any kind of film, be it political, religious, spiritual, whatever, the biggest crime I can commit is to not entertain you. So uh, we seek to have, we had the most beautiful glass, which is the lenses mm-hmm. for the, the mulligan. We had the most incredible, re- you know, red cameras and everything. We had a gaffer who's the guy that helps the cameraman light. Yep. Who just did the series called Gotham, uh-huh. which is very moody and all that. So, mm-hmm. We, and, and, and we don't have any litmus test that if anybody on the crew or the cast has to believe a certain way, mm-hmm. it's almost the opposite. It's like, if you're talented at what you do, we want you, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, we had two, I don't know if you want to call them Wiccans or witches or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, I'm not going to say what department, <laughs> but they look, they, I told them one day they look like the black spies in spy versus spy with right, that magazine. Right. Uh-huh. so but they were terrific people uh-huh. by the way i mean fantastic lovely talented and so in terms of faith-based in particular if i don't make the story interesting yeah or or the and, and beautiful or you know whatever the technique i use should tell the story the best mm-hmm. uh if i don't do that uh, i have failed and so yeah i i understand uh, the, the you know the whole thing, but it, it really is about story. Mm-hmm. And you're right, uh, the Mulligan is a parable of second chances because if you look at the rules of golf, they're very strict. Uh, my son came home from playing yesterday on his golf team. How'd you do? And he goes, Oh, I shot this score and it wasn't too good. I said, What happened? He says, I accidentally hit a guy instead uh-huh. of my own uh-huh. because the the three and the the three and the five looked from a distance of five feet. They looked like the same number, and that's a two-stroke penalty. And I hit it in the water. That's a stroke penalty. All this stuff. Poor poor kid. I hope he improves or you know lives to bet golf a better game mm-hmm, today. Mm-hmm. And the Old Testament, the Bible, 
is very strict. Mm -hmm. I mean, my gosh, there, you know, people fall dead. I mean, um, there's, there's probably in the, in the, the Jewish law, I hear there's like eight or 900 different laws and uh, they, it's not just seafood, you know, it's all kinds of stuff. It's, It's very strict and unforgiving and all that. Well, the mulligan is a second chance that would bring us into, you know, Jesus and, and the modern time. So there's an allegory to the film that I really latched onto. And I like it. Plus I like to golf. I love golf. I'm addicted <laughs> to golf. And I've already got two tea times in California next week. But by the way, by the way, the, the, the film, the ride that, that you did is also about second chances. What is it about second chances that resonates with Michael O'Seibel? Perfect. Good, good question. I, I think it's, there's a number of filmmakers who might embrace this as well. Uh And it's the theme, the theme of redemption, you know, any kind of film where a guy gets out of prison Uh uh, or, 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 you know, a number of things, it's all about, you know, Shawshank redemption. It really is. I don't feel that we're predestined to necessarily be absolute evil or this or that, but given free choice, along the way we do make mistakes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I wish I could abolish or get rid of or erase the top 20 of my 100 mistakes in life uh, that each one had an impact. And uh, so, yeah, it's... I think it's it, built, that's built into all of us, actually. I, I agree. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. I think it's in our DNA. You know, we love seeing the underdog win. We love yeah, seeing, yeah. you know, uh, the bully vanquished and all of that so pick yourself up get back in the game yeah and so you'll find some tv series like a friend of mine did uh the original equalizer Uh uh, tv show there's redemption in every one of those justice redemption salvation these themes are all linked to the human spirit the human psyche you know, there, there are people out there that make films that aren't this way. And sometimes a darker film, I, I've been to like a film festivals where everything's really dark and dreary and nihilistic yeah. and, yeah. and all that. And, and it's just, there might be, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the sixties, late sixties, dirty, hairy, crazy, Mary. Um, <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, Easy rider. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Two, two lane blacktop. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, vanishing point the brisky point uh, vanishing point the guy you know ha- heads a dodge 71 70 or 71 white dodge dodge challenger right into the blades of a a, a snowplow because <laughs> that that's the way he wants to end it you know so those films do have an entertainment value but um they don't necessarily resonate with the human soul i want to i want to get down to uh to a, a- a more focused conversation about the mulligan, which was based upon a story by Ken Blanchard and Wally Armstrong. Ken Blanchard is a wonderful writer. I, re- I was I was managing a bookstore when One Minute Manager came out, and then 15 years later, 18 years later, I'm working uh, for the CEO of United Airlines, working on on a, a, a cross company communications effort, and recommended 
the one minute manager, which he had never heard of, surprisingly, but he ended up buying it for all of his middle management. So wow. I, 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 I was already in, in, the, in your corner just for, just for Ken Blanchard. Talk about, tell, tell people a little bit about, because uh, we've kind of teased it a little bit, tell people a little bit about what the mulligan is, uh, is about. It's about a, by the way, um, I did read the one minute manager when it came out, uh-huh. maybe because I had a, I had a friend who worked in crown books and uh, in Hollywood. That's, and that's uh, where I worked, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I, I loved crown for uh, w- w- as long as they existed. Yeah. Uh, probably a predecessor of Barnes and Noble, right? The mulligan, the idea came to Wally Armstrong, who's a golf professional and he's now, you might say, a PGA professional and an evangelist. His sole purpose is to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And Ken is a storyteller and the kind of guy that can take your embryonic part of an idea and really focus and, and add things to it. And mm-hmm. I can't begin to tell you what parts are Wally's and what are Ken's any more than well, actually, you can tell which is Lennon and which is McCartney, right? <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> the script came to me first for the okay. Mulligan. And then I said, well, I really need to read the underlying source material because I really want to know the author's original intent. Okay. And this book is now out of print, and it's people are handing out two, three, four, five hundred 500 copies at a time. I mean, it's out of print, but it's being reprinted wow. all the time. And uh, it just will never be back in stores. Uh, yeah. It'll probably live forever on Amazon and that sort of thing. Uh, so I read it and I really liked the fact that a guy is successful in everything but life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's a businessman. He runs an e-commerce company, but he's been separated from his wife for four or five years. His kid hates him and all these things. And he blows up at a pro-am golf tournament. Tom Lehman is... I guess you'd say the the celebrity mm-hmm. in the pro-am. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, Tom says to him, you know, I want you to talk to my friend, the old pro. And that's where Pat Boone comes in. And if you're into Easter eggs and surprises in movies, I have Pat show up three times in the movie before we meet him. So you got to <laughs> see it, I guess, a second time. Much like the ultimate gift, I think, where the kid has to go through a series of lessons in mm-hmm. order to get his inheritance. I never thought of this as a parallel until now that our guy has to go through a number of experiences in order to get his inheritance. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's a spiritual thing. So our guy gets to a point in his life. Hey, there's my son, Ben. There's the golfer. I mentioned you earlier, Ben. Does does he he make it in the film? Ben is in the film. You bet he is. He came down to visit for a weekend. And he that seems he, to be a family he, signature, by the way, because you you were in Wraith. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm in this one too. If anyone sees the mulligan, I am the get in the hole guy. In every what do you say, every golf tournament now, there's always some idiot who yells, <laughs> Get in the hole. And that's me. <laughs> and uh I, I get to wear my plaid pants. Bottom line is that the only film I've done I love Hitchcock, of course. Yeah. And uh, the only film I haven't been a, had a cameo in was probably a movie called One Night with the King. Okay. There's a, it's an Old Testament story, and right. I, I don't think I was ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I, ha I have to ask you this. First, first of all, I, I want to call I want to call attention that I, I don't think a lot of people might might recognize this, but it might give them some some greater appreciation for Michael Seibel. And that is there's there's that opening scene in the Ultimate Gift, in which in which the camera slides across the top of the uh, of of the black umbrellas, uh, yeah. a little a little Theodoros uh, Angelopoulos, Ulysses Gaze, if if you remember that that umbrellas that incredible umbrellas, but I, you do, yeah. go ahead. I, I was just going to say you do this great this great Kirstoff Kieslowski reveal with the pink umbrella, and then she turns up and looks looks up at the camera. It's a it's a stunning stunning film moment. I'm flattered that you love it because I, I dearly love it. And you try to show people movies in a different way than they would normally see them. And I believe I stole the shot, not from your reference, but from uh, Frank Capra. Okay. Um, it's either, you know, meet John Doe or. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's probably has to do with a depression and a run on a bank or, or who knows. Yeah. But incidentally, everybody in film school does the same movie where somebody wakes up and looks at their alarm clock and they hit it. I mean, it's just standard opening. And every funeral for a first time or first time to get to do the, the mm -hmm. it was my first funeral in a movie. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I had to have it overcast and raining, you know. <laughs> it, we shot it on the sunniest day in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the history of sunny days. But we used every single it, bit rain machines, yeah. you know, messing with the contrast. That girl in the movie is Abigail yep. Breslin. Right. And she was in a movie that wasn't released yet called Little Miss Sunshine. And my producer, who was trying to get a different actress, mm -hmm. who really, really talented actress. But when I looked her up, uh, she was, he made an offer to her before hiring me. Anna Sophia Robb, uh -huh. incredibly talented because of Winn-Dixie and other films. But she was already 5'10", you know. I'm going, it's going to be awkward. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and so Abigail Breslin was the most prepared talented uh i could go on actress she was nine and she had instincts and yeah she did just, i mean man and yeah i i ha i wanted to distinguish her with a pink umbrella and here she <laughs> is the only person she's the she's the next person to die uh-huh uh, so she's at a funeral terminal yes and she has a pink umbrella because that's the way she looks at life. Mm -hmm. And um, she, when she moves the umbrella and the camera comes down and she has uh, the tears of God, if you will, uh -huh. on her face, uh -huh. she's looking up to the heavens. I mean, just thank you for bringing that up. I absolutely love it. That's one of the films that I didn't do a director's commentary. And they, re they really don't do them anymore. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 absolutely listen to everyone i can get my hands on but um uh, there wasn't one but is uh, is there a chance to redo that because you had a great 
Bryant Dennehy, uh, Drew Fuller, who, who people might know from Charmed and Army Wives, uh, Lee Merriweather, uh, who is just, she was Catwoman. Catwoman! Um, yeah, no kidding. James Garner and Bill Cobbs. Bill Cobbs yeah. is one of the most underrated actors in history, <laughs> in my opinion. Well, I don't, I don't have a gun to my head, but I want my movies to be as diverse as possible. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there, but, but the minute somebody puts a quotient on me and says I have to, I mean, what's that supposed to mean? You know. So definitely, definitely, um, I read the script and uh, and rewrote it probably the last 10 drafts of the script. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, uh, I wanted that lawyer to be African-American and I wanted, um, you know, so <laughs> we wanted Sidney Poitier. Mm, now, wow. You know, th there's the man. I mean, my gosh, lilies of the field. Uh, guess who's coming to dinner uh, in the heat of the night. I mean, you except, can go except, on. Except, except this, Bill Cobbs's character is he, he received a kidney from from James yeah. Garner and uh, in, in, in the film. And so so there's at that at that age, he's not moving as rightly as 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 a lot of people will. And I, I think I think that really helped sell that character more than than even a Sidney Poitier could. Well, uh, now, I mean, I. I'm on record as loving everybody I've ever had in every movie, except for one or one or two, right? I, I had a gun to my head. You got to hire this person uh -huh. and it, a subservient character, by the way, not a lead main uh -huh. character. Uh -huh. And um, usually it's the lead actor's girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, you know, so you whatever. But anyway, we did an exhaustive search. What are the other African-American actors out there? And Somebody suggested Bill Cobb, most likely our casting director, which I believe was Beverly Holloway, okay. who's cast, cast a number of my films. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. She's Hollywood-based, and I think she's branched out from that even recently. But Bill Cobb, who the heck is Bill Cobb? He's got one scene as a bartender in Coming to America mm -hmm. and uh, whatever. And I'm go I looked at him. I said, this guy's perfect. Perfect. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, we. Um, I love working with mature actors. Uh huh. Uh huh. Been there, done that, guy. Because they've got the instincts, they've got it honed, and they always still say, um, "What do you want?" I mean, mm -hmm. you know. So they say, "What do you want?" And um, I say this, and mm -hmm. Bill Cobb was just absolutely amazing. And yeah. I would, uh, in the in the in retrospect, I would have no one else. Good morning. Before we start, I'd like to say how much red meant to me personally. As you know, we started out as business partners. And we ended up as friends. I am deeply grieved by his passing. Yes, well, that's very nice. <clears throat> now, may we proceed? Red's will is in his own words. Still, every bit is legal and binding. Blah, blah, blah. And so, my eldest son, Bill. I leave my company, Panhandle Oil and Gas, 
currently worth $600 million. However, Bill, since you had zero interest in my company while I was alive, I don't imagine that will change much after my death. Therefore, the board will maintain control. Excuse me, but my client would like to explore all of his options. Your client has no more options. And, uh, but they, producers originally wanted, they just had someone else in mind. And, yeah. and I, and I, uh, there are times I make characters who, you know, are, I want Hispanic, Asian. I don't care about gender. Yeah. Whoever can bring the best thing to the role and, and, and really accentuate it. Absolutely. So. It, w- it was a really natural film. Uh, so I, I want to finish up with, with this your your management or directing directing style has been described as collaborative. A- Ellie Hillis actually, uh, who worked uh, who worked in The Ultimate Gift and Ray, uh, yes. a wonderful wonderful actress uh, who's also from Wisconsin. That that very I, I think she's from she's from Sheboygan Canada. Falls. Sheboygan, Sheboygan Falls. Falls. Thank you. Yeah, yep. uh, I'm, I'm telling you, there's something in the water up there, brother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. What do you do to help their motivation as as actors? Get them to get them to a part. Get them to understanding where that character comes from before a scene or even before the story begins. Well, I can answer that in a number of ways. One is I I hate hate, and I've only once or twice been put in a position where I have to be an acting teacher. Yeah. By the time you by the time you get through the casting people and the tapes, the auditions, and then the live auditions in front of me and maybe the producers, you, you've got to have it, you know? And, yeah, um, yeah. but I, I just got done reading about how Mike Nichols directed Dustin Hoffman and Ann Bancroft in The Graduate. Mm-hmm. And uh, he really was a taskmaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, really had to have it just really tightened through. I like to give an actor a lot of freedom mm-hmm. with their character. However, I'm not a chess player. You could beat me in three moves. You could probably beat me setting up the board. Well, I have two <laughs> brothers. I have two brothers who are chess masters. Uh-huh. And something rubbed off where I can tell you, if an actor says to me, I want to say it this way, my mind is, uh, can tell you, no, because two weeks ago you said this. Yeah. And a week from now, you're going to have to say this. But 90% of the time, I say to the actor, yeah, perfect. If that's what your character would do or say, yes, mm-hmm. let's do it. But mm-hmm. I have to know the impact on the other, the rest of the film, the plot, mm-hmm. the script, the other characters, and all that. I mean, the character's yeah, believability. Uh, I, I, my my first play, very same thing. I, I was a produ- I was a writer producer. The director came to me and said one of the one of the characters had uh, had an idea for for playing one of the homeless characters. This was. Uh, Many years ago, and I said, "Let's let's let's see what he what he what he brings to it." He went a little bit too far, where where he was portraying the homeless character as as crazy, even even dumb, and and I didn't want that. I wanted I wanted the audience to come to this character, understanding that he he just was really down on his luck and that happens to some people and so i i I asked her to pull it pull it back um are are you a one take uh take guy or are you a a multiple take let's see let's try it let's try it straight let's try it let's try it over the top let's try it this way um how do you how do you approach that i'm i'm probably an instinctive okay and that 
for one thing, I don't believe in rehearsals. Uh-huh. I hate rehearsals. I'll tell you why. Because if I see the most brilliant performance during a rehearsal uh-huh. and I don't get it on camera, there's nothing that'll drive you more crazy. Mm-hmm. So I want to capture the magic. I want it to be fresh. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be rote. And um, I, the one thing I hate in movies, and it's rare, but I hate over the top, like you just described your experience. Mm-hmm. Great illustration. In the movie, The Ultimate Gift, and I certainly want to talk, I got to leave on the mulligan here in a minute. Yes, sir. Um, but um, in, the, in The Ultimate Gift, I had a, a, a comedian, Donna Cherry, mm-hmm. play Drew Fuller's mother. Mm-hmm. And she comes to, he rings the doorbell, she comes to the door, and he says, Mom, I need, I want to come in. And she says, I can't let you in because it's part of the deal that you have to sink or swim on your own. We had, she had a cocktail and she was loopy and, and, you know, pretending to be drunk and acting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, this isn't working. This isn't working for me. And um, you can't force comedy. Yeah. And uh, she, she went with it and she, and, and she played it the way she did that time after we discussed it a little bit and, and it, it came out much, much better. So yeah. Um, there you have it. Hey, the mulligan in theaters, the 18th and 19th only at a theater near you. Great, great minds think alike because this is how I was going to finish. Michael O'Seibel's latest film is the mulligan opening in select theaters, April 18th and 19th starring Pat Boone, Eric Close, Tanya Christensen and Andrew Brodeur, who's excellent by the way. He's a brilliant, oh. brilliant actor. Yeah, he's terrific. It was great working with him. And uh, we just had that, you know, the uh, premiere, and I got uh-huh. to hang out with Andrew again. And uh, just a just a super nice guy um, in his very early 20s. I don't think I tried to make him play younger or anything like that, but uh, he did a great job. He, he does. So, is really somebody to watch. The website is themulliganmovie.com. Yeah. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this and uh, hope we have another conversation at another day. We can always talk about superstition for another hour. Yes, we can. So I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to dust off my, uh, my VHS copy and, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk. <laughs> you got it. Thank have, you so much, William. Have a happy Easter, buddy. Same to you. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. Rascal Martinez is a singer-songwriter and one of the hardest-working musicians today. Rascal channels a spirit with a fresh yet familiar and resonant style. Think David Gray meets Johnny Cash on the wide-open fields of America's heartland. The website is rascalmartinez.com. Rascal's latest single is dedicated to his newlywed, Terabelle Martinez. Who says romance is dead? From Rascal Martinez, the song is titled, Her. Someday We finally met in that way I was waiting for you To say my name Falling I knew that I was falling I was falling so
A link to all of our guests is in the notes below. If you like this podcast, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. I'm still here.